I'm TL, and I'll be your host for the next hour. Each week at Mass, we say those words, I believe, but our belief has implications on the way we live our life the rest of the week. We explore those implications together right here on Outside the Walls. This week has been one of celebration around our household. A couple of things happened. First of all, we had our wedding anniversary, celebrated 13 years of marriage. And then uh, the day after, we had another anniversary, the anniversary of our confirmation. This past Tuesday, we celebrated uh, eight years of Catholicism as my wife and I both um, both came into the church, uh, entered in by profession of faith after having been baptized in, in different Protestant Christian communities. And so for us, uh, this was really a week of celebration. If you know the story, maybe you caught it on the journey home on EWTN, or maybe you've heard it here on the show. Uh, we actually came in a little bit abnormally. We came in about three weeks after Easter uh, because I was working in the Protestant church and wanted to get my church through their Easter celebration. And then immediately after Easter gave my uh, three weeks notice and then uh, came into the church into full communion. And it was uh, really a very profound experience for us. Confirmation is one of those things that we often have trouble really explaining. Uh, even the catechism, as it talks about the effects of confirmation around uh, the, the paragraph 1303, it says, from this fact, confirmation brings an increase and deepening of baptismal grace. It roots us more deeply in the divine filiation, which makes us cry, Abba, Father. It unites us more firmly to Christ. It increases the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It renders our bond with the church more perfect. And so each of these things are uh, really in some way a completion of the work that's already begun. And then, of course, that last one is the one that's unique to confirmation specifically. It gives us special strength of the Holy Spirit to spread and defend the faith by word and action as true witnesses of Christ, to confess the name of Christ boldly and to never be ashamed of the cross. Uh, That's uh, out of the Catechism number 1303. And one of the reasons that we have a hard time really coming to to grips with what confirmation does is that from the very beginning, confirmation was celebrated all together. You had baptism, confirmation, and first communion all in one celebration, uh, like we still have with those who are catechumens coming into the church, uh, and they receive all three sacraments in the same night on Easter Vigil. Uh, But even when you were baptizing infants in the ancient world, in the early church, they would give all three. And this is still the tradition in the, in the East, where baptism and confirmation and First Communion all go hand in hand. So why did this change? Well, in the very early church, the, the bishop was the one who, who gave the sacrament of baptism, confirmation, and First Communion. And he did this for everyone who came to the church. It was the bishop's job to do that. And so in the East, they wanted to keep the unity of the sacrament, right? They wanted those three sacraments to go together. Uh, but in order to do that, they had to uh, sacrifice something. And so now a priest would be allowed to do those sacraments of baptism, uh, confirmation, and first communion, but he could only do so with, with oil that was consecrated by the bishop. In the, in the West, in the Latin church, we wanted to continue to reserve confirmation to the bishop. So permission was given to the priest to do baptisms, but confirmation of those who were baptized into the church is still reserved to the bishop. And so 
we separated those two days out so that the as you know right now it's confirmation season the bishop's going around to the various churches and he can only get to so many places uh, at a time so um confirmation was moved to a later time and then it was pushed to the age of reason confirmation and first communion were received together and it continued to be pushed later and later uh, until you had teenagers who were receiving confirmation and first communion up until the time of Pope Pius X. And he wrote a decree called Quam Singulari, which really emphasized the importance of first communion and moved it back to the age of reason, which we generally consider to be around the age of seven. So when he moved that back, this is where the sacraments of first communion and confirmation became disentangled from one another. Uh, Up until that time, even as confirmation was moved, it was moved with First Communion, and so those two were celebrated together. Uh, After Quam Singulari, now we have what we have today, where children are often baptized as infants, they receive First Communion, and then they receive confirmation at some later date. Now, you've got some dioceses that are looking at doing what's called restored order, where, again, they celebrate confirmation together with First Communion and celebrate confirmation first. So you have this whole historical shift that has occurred that really in some ways kind of muddies the water for us in understanding what confirmation is and does. Uh, Later we're going to be looking at a reading from church history from St. Cyril of Jerusalem, kind of unpacking it. And of course this section that we're going to be reading in the fourth segment uh, comes from a homily on baptism, because remember, baptism and confirmation and First Communion were all celebrated together, and yet they were still seen as distinct, and we'll hear that a little bit later. Uh, But confirmation does something very specific. Of course, it completes the work that was begun at baptism. It fully initiates us into the church, but it gives us a specific and particular grace to be able to live out the faith. And I remember um, my own confirmation and my, my wife's confirmation, and she tells the story very often that she had this expectation of what it was going to be to be Catholic. And she had this expectation that she was going to miss some of the things from our former tradition and that some of the things in Catholicism were going to be difficult for her. And yet we still had this very strong sense that we were called into the Catholic Church, and that this was the place that we were meant to be. And so even as we had some uncertainty, uh, it was around minor issues, and what was most certain is that we needed to be Catholic. And so we went through this confirmation, and she describes the the process of going forward for confirmation, much like she described uh, going forward to get married. And she, after that confirmation, the graces that were given to us, all of those things that we expected to be difficult, they weren't because of the graces that God gave us through that confirmation to live out the faith. Today, we're going to be talking with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. He's an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle, uh, former priest of the Diocese of Tulsa, where many of you in my listening audience reside. It's going to be a great conversation as we unpack even more, more fully, this question of the sacrament of confirmation. Don't go anywhere. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls. 
where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. We've been talking the last couple of weeks about uh, sanctity and specifically our, our universal call to holiness, that we're all called to be saints. And last week, we looked specifically at the fact that really our involvement in sanctity is our abandonment, our embracing our weaknesses and saying, uh, yes, Lord, whatever it is that you have for me, not my will, but yours be done. And today we're going to dig into that a little bit deeper, uh, looking at the sacrament of confirmation. I'm pleased to be joined today by Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, who is an auxiliary bishop of the Archdiocese of Seattle. He was a priest in the Diocese of Tulsa, where many of my listening audience uh, live, and also served as the vice rector of the Pontifical North American College in Rome. Uh, Your Excellency, thank you for joining us today. Great to be here, T.L. So, Bishop, when I was um, growing up, I grew up in a Protestant congregation, and I was confirmed in that in that tradition before I came into full communion with the Church. And the idea of of that, and I've, I've, I think I've heard a number of Catholics uh, maybe intone this kind of belief as well, is that since we were baptized as babies, we come to uh, a certain age of reason, and then we go to confirmation to confirm the faith that was handed on to us. So we are confirming that, yes, we believe that and we accept that, and yet that's not what the Church teaches at all. So tell us a little bit, what is the Sacrament of Confirmation? Well, T.L., I think that you've asked a great question, and it is probably one of the most important questions to ask for anyone who is um, either participating and receiving the Sacrament of Confirmation or even anyone who's going to attend a Confirmation Mass. So one of the first things I, I, I want us to all understand is that when we talk about the sacrament of confirmation, we're not talking about our action of confirming something. We're talking about God's action of confirming because a sacrament is a sharing in God's life. It's God's action, not our action. And so just to affirm what you said, the sacrament of confirmation is not our individual affirmation of faith to confirm our parents' decision. That would be our action. Now, I do have to give a footnote. And I want, the footnote I want to give is this. It is absolutely important that every one of us affirm our faith as adults, as mature disciples, that every one of us take responsibility for our faith and make it our own. We need to do that. That's important to do. And in fact, it's so important to do that we already do it every single Sunday. Right. Every Sunday when we go to Mass, we profess our belief, our individual belief in one God, the Father, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible. And that's why we're doing that, so that every single one of us can affirm and claim our faith and profess it as ours individually together with the community. So that's important to do. That's good to do. But that is not a sacrament. Mm -hmm. A sacrament is a sharing in God's life. And so when we talk about the sacrament of confirmation, we are talking about um, God's confirming work in our lives. And we use the word confirm to mean strengthen. All right. That's really what it means. Strengthen. That God strengthens us by allowing us the gift of a sharing in his life, namely by the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us. You know, you, you mentioned something at the beginning about our growth in holiness. 
I think one of the great um, things that we need to be clear on is that we do not accomplish our own holiness, right? That is Pelagianism. Um, we do not accomplish our own holiness. God's the only one who can make something holy. We can't make it holy. And so what we do is we open ourselves to receive and to cooperate with God's gift of holiness in our lives. And confirmation is one of the most important ways that we do that Mm -hmm. because we are opening ourselves to receive fully the gift of the Holy Spirit who can sanctify us, who can lead us and unite us more closely with Jesus so that we can be an authentic witness of the Lord's presence in the world. Literally, we can become a vehicle of God's presence in the world around us. Yeah. You know, a, a lot of people look at the the way that we have the sacrament structured, or at least the sacramental preparation structured. And um, in many places, it happens in, in the high school age. Of course, the Archdiocese of Seattle just now lowered that age down to, to seventh grade. But uh, many places, you've got a, a person who's in high school, and then they go and they attend these classes, and they've attended maybe faith formation or religious education for their whole elementary life. And they kind of correlate that with a school mentality. And so, of course, they see the ceremony of uh, confirmation as as maybe a graduation of sorts. And at that point in time, we see statistically across the United States, a large number of people leave the church right after their confirmation as if, okay, now I'm done with it. And, and yet you and I, we know that confirmation is the final sacrament of initiation. That's the point at which now you are fully a part of the church. And and so talk a little bit about maybe why it is that we do sacramental preparation. It's As you mentioned, it's not us who brings about our sanctity, and it's God who's doing the work in the sacrament, and yet it is incumbent upon us to be properly disposed and prepared. So why do we do sacramental preparation specifically regarding confirmation in the way that we do and how can we get the most out of it? That's a very good question. So sacramental preparation is really to dispose us so that we can fully receive and um, fully cooperate with the grace of a given sacrament. That's it. It's basically to help us be open to it so that we are expecting what God wants to give us. And that's true with any of the sacraments. Um The key thing with confirmation is, as you just said, when we approach confirmation as the final sacrament of initiation, sometimes people get the idea that they are completing their initiation and confirmation is the last step. When we use that language, we are actually reinforcing the idea that somehow we're done with it after confirmation. And, and that is such a misunderstanding. Confirmation is really the beginning of our life as a mature disciple. It, it, it is, it's the sacrament that should be sending us on our first steps of um, Christian mission in life, not the sacrament that people see as the end of their formation. Um, and the other thing I would say is that discipleship is a lifelong process. It's not something that we can say, hey, I have a certificate, I'm done with it. I am now a disciple. I don't need to be formed anymore. Discipleship is a lifelong process. We're talking today with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg. Um, Your Excellency, I look at at the people who go through confirmation, and 
the the process that they go through and maybe they they feel like they have to take a test or they have to pass somehow in order to get the sacrament and I, I was talking with someone recently who said you know I had in in my sacramental prep in my um as we were preparing for confirmation I had to write a letter to the bishop that expressed all the reasons that I wanted to uh, to receive the sacrament um, and so uh, I, I put it off because I wasn't really terribly interested my parents were making me go uh, and so th- it was the day of the deadline and I had to do something so I, I got this piece of paper and I uh, I tore it out of the notebook and you could still see the tear on the edges and I, I just wrote dear Bishop I want to be confirmed and turned it in and just by that weak act of the will, um, the sacrament took hold of them and radically changed their life in a way that they were not expecting. They didn't feel that they were uh, coming up to any big thing, but they gave their fiat, however weak it was, and that was enough. So talk a little bit about that, that um, what's required of us to receive that grace. Yeah. Well, first of all, that is a beautiful story. And I say it's beautiful because I would much rather that someone realize that that confirmation is a pure gift of God rather than thinking it is their accomplishment or that they have earned it and that they deserve it somehow. Um, I think of that, that even, even that minimal attitude of gratitude and of uh, recognition of giftedness um, is so crucial to really having a proper understanding of the sacraments. Now, um, the, uh, the thing we also have to watch out for is, is that very attitude that sometimes we can foster in people, the attitude by which people think that they have earned it, they have jumped through the hoops, and therefore now they deserve it. Um, and they have accomplished that sacrament like a badge of honor. That is very Pelagian, and, uh, and we don't want to go there. Sacraments are free gifts of God's grace. Our preparation and people's participation in our preparation should be to help properly dispose them to receive that gift, but not to give them the idea that that um, they have to pass a test and go through regimen in order to earn that gift. And there's a very delicate balance in how we approach um, confirmation preparation so as to both properly prepare, but at the same time, not give the illusion of deserving or earning it. And that's such a difficult balance because uh, on one hand, you want that person to be involved in in facilitating a life of prayer and being present at the sacraments. But again, we don't want to have this requirement that says, oh, well, we're going to check your bulletin and make sure that you attended X number of masses. And we want someone to to be involved in, in service and caring for the world around them and seeing the importance of being the body of Christ externally, but the idea of, okay, we're going to count your service hours, and when you get enough, then we can check off that box. And, and so it is such a delicate balance to bring people to an understanding without giving them a false understanding of, of earning. Yes, it is a delicate balance. The other thing we want to keep in mind is that when we look to the lives of the great saints, you know, they show us what it looks like to live the grace of our confirmation by allowing the Holy Spirit to work within us, making us an active member of the body of Christ. And yet the great saints lived the grace of confirmation in a variety of different ways. You know, so the reality of the Christian life is that one size doesn't fit all and that we can cooperate with the grace of of the Holy Spirit fully and completely. And yet our lives can be lived out in very different ways. 
Um, and so whether that is a contemplative, prayerful approach or whether it is an active approach of ministry, like the life of Mother Teresa, who, who, who very beautifully bridged both of those, con- contemplation and action, um, we, we, need to, we need to realize that there is such a diversity and beauty in the, in, in, the, in the wide range of ways in which the Holy Spirit brings about holiness in people's lives. Our primary preparation should be to help people recognize and say yes to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, um, and then to be able to follow through on those promptings, you know, trusting that it is God's grace that, that is taking place within their life, rather than requiring that they conform um, to uh, specific models of discipleship. We're talking today with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of Seattle, and we're unpacking the Sacrament of Confirmation. It's one of those sacraments that's often misunderstood. And we've been talking a little bit about how you and I can live out those sacramental graces that we received at Confirmation. And now it's your turn to weigh in. Come over to Outside the Walls uh, social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at Outside the Walls. And talk to me about the day of your confirmation. Maybe you're a convert into the faith, came in at Easter Vigil. Maybe you were you grew up in the church and you were confirmed with other people your age during the confirmation season. Uh, tell me about that day and how it's made a difference in your life. Don't go anywhere because right after this break, we're going to talk with Bishop Muggenberg about how the Holy Spirit infills us through the sacrament of confirmation and what that means for us. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL. Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, TL. Today, the... Uh, the implication we're looking at is the fact that we receive everything as a gift from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the hand of our Father in heaven, and that even our own uh, our own pious life, our piety, our, our devotion to our uh, to, to our Lord, to to any different devotion that we may have, all of this comes from the hand of the Lord. Uh, last week at the end of the episode, we talked a little bit about. Um, St. Francis of Assisi, who we think, oh man, you know, he, he was such a saint. I can never compare to that. And, and I can't live that kind of sanctity because, you know, there he was meditating on the cross. And we mentioned the fact that, well, he was in there meditating on the cross, putting himself in a place where he could hear the voice of God because he had reached a place of, of uh, personal desolation in his life, right? The everything that he had hoped in had failed him, and so now he didn't know where to turn, and he sat still for the first time and listened. And that's how you and I achieve sanctity as well, as we sit in a place and surrender ourselves to the the will of the Holy Spirit. One of the ways that we do that, the the way that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit and and uh, receive power from the Holy Spirit comes from the sacrament of confirmation. We're talking today with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, Auxiliary Bishop of the Archdiocese of Seattle, uh, about this beautiful sacrament. Your Excellency, right now, you're in the middle of confirmation season. Uh, you're traveling around all over your archdiocese. It's one of the the joyful responsibilities you have as an, as an auxiliary bishop. Uh, 
you came to my parish last week and first, first and foremost, you came and you sat with the confirmandi, uh, the candidates for about an hour before the, the actual, uh, the actual rite and sat with them and, and invested in them. And that's such a, a beautiful and wonderful thing for, I want to thank you for that first and foremost, but I want to turn our attention now to your homily, um, because it was fantastic. And I, I, I'd like you to share just that opening section of comparing the graces of the sacrament uh, to the other ways that the Holy Spirit has acted in history. Would you just kind of unpack that for us here today? Sure, you bet. I'd be happy to, TL. Um, whenever we look to the scriptures, uh, we see um, uh, an emerging understanding of the role of the Holy Spirit. You know, from the time in Genesis when the Holy Spirit um, hovered over the waters of creation, uh, the Holy Spirit inspiring the prophets of the Old Testament. But when we look at the New Testament, we see with greater clarity the role of the Holy Spirit, and we see it especially in the Gospel of John and in the writings of Luke and the Acts of the Apostles. So key moments when the Holy Spirit is active and uh, and, and revealing uh, his dynamism in the life of the church, um, those moments start with the Annunciation to Mary. And we are told specifically that Mary will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, and bear a son, and his name will be Jesus. Um, So Mary said yes to the will of God. She opened her life to anything that God wished to give her. She who was full of grace was able to show us how to be a disciple and to um, open our lives to God. And in that moment, by the power of the Holy Spirit, um, she received the body of Jesus, the body of Christ into her womb. Um, and that was a powerful moment that occurred by the power of the Holy Spirit, able to awaken within us and to render present Jesus in our midst. We also see that continuing then um, as Jesus himself is uh, responding to the motivation of the Holy Spirit throughout the Gospel of Luke, such that the Holy Spirit is accomplishing the work of salvation through the life and ministry of Jesus. Uh, and it culminates especially in the Acts of the Apostles, when the Holy Spirit descends on the Apostles at Pentecost, and that moment transforms them to become courageous witnesses of Jesus in the world, literally to become the body of Christ, the mystical body of Christ, the Church. Um, the Holy Spirit uh, continues to direct the life of the church as the disciples cooperate with the promptings and inspiration and leadership and guidance of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comforts the church in its suffering, um, brings consolation to the church uh, in its distress, and the Holy Spirit also accompanies the church. It mediates the ongoing spiritual presence of Jesus so that we as the church are never alone. And because we're never alone and we know God's presence with us, we, we do not give in to fear, but we experience encouragement uh, and guidance, even, even as we face challenges and difficulties. Now, the action of the Holy Spirit revealed in the Gospels um, is beautifully, beautifully then summarized uh, and articulated in the Gospel of John, where the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our consoler, uh, our guide our revealer, um, and the Holy Spirit is the gift of Jesus, both from the cross and to the disciples in the upper room, commissioning them to carry on his ministry of manifesting God's love for all people in the world. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful teaching. 
We're talking today with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg about the Sacrament of Confirmation. And Your Excellency, in that homily, you went on to talk about we are receiving this same Holy Spirit, and there's a relationship between uh, what the Holy Spirit does is connecting the body with the head, right? Putting putting us together, making us members of one another. And then you went on to say this is the same Holy Spirit that comes upon these gifts of bread and wine and makes them into the body and blood. And I tell you, that that was such a profound realization of looking at all of the different ways that the Holy Spirit changes us and that that moment of, of fiat actually makes a difference, not because of our efforts, but because that at that moment the Holy Spirit then goes to work. So I want to turn and, and look a little bit at um, maybe the fact that we receive the Holy Spirit at baptism, and yet there's something different about confirmation in the way that we receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm wondering, is that the difference between John 20, where Jesus breathes on the disciples and and tells them to receive the Spirit, and Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes in power and makes them his witnesses? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, <laughs> so what one of the difficulties we get into is when we try to um, limit the sacraments uh, or to so define the sacraments that they make sense to us, but they actually begin to diminish, um, you know, our ability to participate in the mystery of God because they because we, we need to categorize them for our own benefit. Um, so to your, to your question about the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit, let me speak about that for just a moment. Uh, it is not just enough to know how the Holy Spirit acted in the past, especially in history and scripture. That helps us understand how the Holy Spirit continues to act today. So you're very much um, on target when you speak about, you know, the Holy Spirit is the one who transforms the gifts of bread and wine today to become the body and blood of Christ. And the Holy Spirit is the one who fills us today and transforms us to be as courageous witnesses and active members of his body, especially active members of his body who receive the Eucharist and are formed by that Eucharist. But um, whenever we uh, uh, speak about the work of the Holy Spirit in the sacraments, the Holy Spirit is active in every sacrament. And uh, certainly in our baptism, um, Jesus established us to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want to stress that Jesus established us to be a temple, not individual temples of the Holy Spirit. Uh-huh. Just as, and there's a big difference between that. Yes. And and the, the prayers of baptism really point this out. They also point out that in our baptism, we become a member of the body of Christ. We do not become individual bodies of Christ in the world. So our baptism collectively unites us with the person of Jesus and grants us a sharing in the Holy Spirit that we need in order for that life-giving participation in the body of Christ. And yet, the Holy Spirit also is the one who empowers us for witness. Um, You know, at the end of Luke's gospel in chapter 24, Jesus was very specific to the disciples. He said, stay in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high, and then you can be my witnesses, and you will be my my witnesses to the world of my death and resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, but the disciples were not to become witnesses until they were clothed with power from on high. And um, we, 
if, if we were to boil those two moments down, the moment of baptism and the moment of empowerment for witness, I think that we would probably identify in Scripture John chapter 19 when Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to the church that is formed at the foot of the cross. Right? He hands over the Spirit. Uh, some translations say he gave up the Spirit. Those are mistranslations. Jesus hands over the Spirit at that moment, and that would be the, the birth of the church being born in the power of the Holy Spirit at the foot of the cross. And yet, in the next chapter, Jesus continues to give the Holy Spirit when he breathes on the disciples and then sends them out to carry on his mission. So those would be two moments when the Holy Spirit plays a very critical and real role, and yet a distinctive role in the life of the church, um, in its pastoral dimension, and in, and in its missionary dimension. Mm -hmm. So maybe we could talk about the sacrament of confirmation as being the sacrament of Christian witness, the sacrament of Christian mission, um, the sacrament that really uh, equips us to be authentic people carrying on the ministry of Jesus in the world today. You know, I'd never heard this, that, that picture before of, of the church being born there at the cross. And, and it's exceptionally fitting that that would be the case, but it also, I think is exceptionally fitting for us as we look at our own inability to approach sanctity, that it's at, at the cross at our weakest point when we're there at what looks to be the failure well, it looks that everything has fallen apart. It's there at the cross in our weakness that we receive the gifts that Christ wants to give us. Well, yes, it is true. We receive those gifts. And you know what? When we talk about failure, uh, when we talk about weakness, we need to remember that um, in God's eyes, God can work with any situation to bring about grace and good. And sometimes it is specifically through our own weakness that we come to know the power of God mm -hmm. and most clearly. And certainly St. Paul speaks about that and teaches that as well. So um, we need to be careful uh, to make judgments about, um, you know, our own situations in life and to realize that every single situation um, is an opportunity and an invitation for God's grace to be manifested. And so we need to pray for that. Uh, and to be looking for that. And uh, that's how we will cooperate with God and helping to bring about that good grace, both through ourselves and in the world today. Bishop Muggenberg, thank you for joining us today. You're welcome, TL. Great to be here. Would you leave us with your blessing? The Lord be with you. And may the blessing of Almighty God, who desires to lead us every step of every day, so that we can be both the vehicle of his presence and the instrument of his work in the world. Be with us always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. There's more to my conversation with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg available to those who support the show through Patreon. If you want to catch that extra segment, go over to OutsideTheWalls.com, click that Patreon link, and follow the instructions. There's more to come in today's show right after this as we turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and Church History. Join us over on social media, facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. And today we're asking the question, tell me about your confirmation. What do you remember? What stands out to you from that day? We'll be right back right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L., and today we've been unpacking the, the sacrament of confirmation, exploring it, looking into it more deeply, and I had a great conversation with Bishop Daniel Muggenberg, who is an auxiliary bishop for the Archdiocese of Seattle and former priest for the Diocese of Tulsa. If you missed any part of my conversation with him or you want to share it with your friends, have no fear. All of our shows are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. You can find this week's episode just right up at the top of the page. And uh, while you're there, you might be interested to know that there's more to my conversation with Bishop Muggenberg that didn't make it to the broadcast. Uh, We record an extra segment each and every week for those who support the show through Patreon. Their support helps keep us on the air week after week, and in gratitude, we like to give them extra goodies. You can be a part of that community by going there to OutsideTheWalls.com. Look at all the archives while you're there, and then up in the top right-hand corner of the page, you'll find a link that says Support the Show. If you click that link and follow the instructions, you too can be the recipient of all of this extra content. I encourage you to go take a look at it and see if this is the week you want to start getting those extra segments. Let's go ahead and turn our attention back to the Sacrament of Confirmation by examining our reading from Scripture and from church history. In Scripture, we're going to start off today in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Brothers and sisters, the Spirit scrutinizes everything, even the depths of God. Among men, who knows what pertains to the man except his spirit that is within? Similarly, No one knows what pertains to God, except the Spirit of God. We have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand the things freely given us by God. And we speak about them not with words taught by human wisdom, but with words taught by the Spirit, describing spiritual realities in spiritual terms. Now the natural man does not accept what pertains to the Spirit of God, for to him it is foolishness, and he cannot understand it, because it is judged spiritually. The one who is spiritual, however, can judge everything, but is not subject to judgment by anyone. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to counsel him? But we have received the mind of Christ. That reading comes from the book of 1 Corinthians as Paul is talking to them, I think in some very strong way about the sacrament of confirmation. We have been given the Spirit of God and through the Spirit have the gifts of God by which God reveals himself to us. Our reading from church history today comes from a catechetical homily by St. Cyril of Jerusalem that was given to the Neophytes, those who had just come into the church, explaining to them what they had just gone through. And this is out of his third catechetical sermon uh, and is talking about the anointing at baptism, the gift of the Spirit. Christ bathed in the River Jordan, and having invested the waters with the divine presence of his body, he emerged from them, and the Holy Spirit visited him in substantial form, like coming to rest on like. In the same way, when you emerged from the pool of sacred waters, you were anointed in a manner corresponding with Christ's anointing. That anointing is the Holy Spirit, of whom the blessed Isaiah spoke when he prophesied in the person of the Lord, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me 
because he has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good tidings to the poor. For Christ was not anointed by human hand with any tangible oil or myron. No, the Father chose him to be the Savior of the whole world and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. As Peter says, Jesus of Nazareth, whom God anointed with the Holy Spirit. Again, the prophet David cried out, Your throne, O God, endures forever and ever. Your royal scepter is a scepter of equity. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness above your fellows. Just as Christ was truly crucified, buried, and raised again, and you were considered worthy to be crucified, buried, and raised with him in likeness by baptism, so too in the manner of anointing, Christ was anointed with the spiritual oil of gladness, that is, with the Holy Spirit, which is called the oil of gladness because the Holy Spirit is the author of spiritual joy. And you have been anointed with Myron because you have become fellows and sharers of Christ. Be sure not to regard the Myron merely as ointment, Just as the bread of the Eucharist after the invocation of the Holy Spirit is no longer just bread, but the body of Christ, so the holy myron after the invocation is no longer ordinary ointment, but Christ's grace, which through the presence of the Holy Spirit instills his divinity into us. It is applied to your forehead and the organ of sense with a symbolic meaning. The body is anointed with visible ointment and the soul is sanctified by the holy hidden spirit. First, you were anointed on the forehead so that you might lose the shame which Adam, the first transgressor, everywhere bore with him, and so that you might, with unveiled face, behold the glory of God. Next, you were anointed on the ears that you might acquire ears which will hear those divine mysteries of which Isaiah said, The Lord has given me an ear to hear with. Again, the Lord Jesus in the gospel said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then you were anointed on the nostrils, so that after receiving the divine chrism, you might say, We are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved. After that, you were anointed on the chest, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, that you might stand against the wiles of the devil. Just as Christ, after his baptism and visitation by the Holy Spirit, went out and successfully wrestled with the enemy, so you also, after your holy baptism and sacramental anointing, put on the armor of the Holy Spirit, confront the power of the enemy, and reduce it, saying, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. Now that you are reckoned worthy of this holy anointing, you are called Christians. And this title you substantiate by your new birth. For before being thought worthy of this grace, you did not strictly merit such an address. You were still advancing along the path towards being Christians. It is important for you to know that this anointing is foreshadowed in the Old Testament. When Moses entrusted his brother the command of God and made him high priest, after washing him with water, he anointed him. And his brother received the name Anointed One, clearly because of this prefiguring anointing. Likewise, when the high priest raised Solomon to the kingship, he anointed him after washing him in the waters of Gihon. This happened to Aaron and Solomon by way of figure, but to you not in figure but in truth. 
for you were truly anointed by the Holy Spirit. Christ is the beginning of your salvation, for he is truly the first fruit, while you are the whole lump. If the first fruit is holy, clearly the holiness will pass to the whole lump. Keep this anointing unspotted, for if it abides in you, it will teach you all things. As you have just heard the blessed John say in his long discourse about the anointing, For this sacrament is the spiritual preserver of the body and the salvation of the soul. So the blessed Isaiah prophesied long ago, the Lord shall make provision for all nations on this mountain. By this mountain, he means the church. And elsewhere, when he says, and it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord will be made clear. They will drink of wine and gladness and be anointed with myron. To convince you utterly, hear what he says about the sacramental nature of this Myron. Give all these things to the nations, for the Lord's counsel is to all nations. Now that you are anointed with this holy Myron, keep it in yourself spotless and unsullied. Advance in good works and be pleasing to the pioneer of your salvation, Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our reading from church history today came from a 4th century homily by St. Cyril of Jerusalem. And this comes from a whole series of homilies by St. Cyril of Jerusalem that were catechesis for the neophytes, for those who had just now come into the church. And he was explaining to them what they had just received. And so you have received this grace by virtue of your confirmation. You have been anointed with the oil of gladness. And that that physical oil externally presents to us and transmits to us the grace of the Holy Spirit. And what is visible outwardly of that oil speaks of what is happening inwardly, the graces that are given to us as we are anointed with the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we are given the strength to live the Christian life to live as Christ lived, as St. John would say, we have, through this, become sharers in the divine nature. And the confirmation aids us and strengthens us to live the Christian life. In the first segment, I talked about how when my wife and I became Catholic, when we were confirmed into the Catholic Church, a lot of those things that we were unsure about, and we just didn't know if we were going to be able to really grab a hold of in Catholicism, for us, very suddenly became very easy because we were given that sacramental grace and the strength to be able, first of all, to be led into all truth by the Holy Spirit who had filled us. But also, we were given the strength to live the faith. And you've been given that same strength if you have been confirmed. If you're having difficulty with the faith, Call on the Holy Spirit and ask Him to increase in you the graces of your confirmation. Today's show is brought to you by Ryan and Sarah Jepson, Michael and Julie Highland, Richard Jones, Paige, and Kent Keithley, all of you in Oklahoma, and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Special prayers for those of you in Oklahoma who have been dealing with just horrible weather. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.